0: now I can. Perfect. Hello everyone and welcome back to SACS's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher and I'm an associate professor in the student affairs program, I'm sorry, and the student affairs program coordinator in the College of Education at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, we are excited to have Dr. Gin- Jenny Jones Boss from the University of Georgia and Dr. Tiffany J. Davis at the University of Houston with us to talk about their work editing a special issue of the College Student Affairs Journal on scholarly practice in student affairs. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're glad to be here.
1: Yes, thanks so much.
0: Absolutely. So before we get to discussing the upcoming issue and the call for submissions, we want to get to know you just a little bit better. So the podcast is focused on current issues, events, and trends, but it's also a chance for us to get to know a little bit about each other and to introduce you to potentially new colleagues and partners across the region and across student affairs. We are all more than just our jobs. And so let's start with that. And Ginny, would you mind starting and telling us just a little bit about yourself and your journey into the position you're currently in?
2: Sure. Um, I'll try to make this, you know, uh, as quick as possible, (laughs) so that I'm not going on and on. But... I think like most people, I kind of came to student affairs blissfully unaware that it was even an occupational choice for me, but one of the things that happened for me is that when I was an undergraduate student, I was really drawn to the collegiate environment and like leadership positions and different things like that, and I knew that I wanted to work in a collegiate environment beyond being a student, but I wasn't sure what that looked like, and so because I was unaware of student affairs as kind of a career choice, Um, What I ended up doing is I went to get a degree in counseling, a master's in counseling. And from there, I had the aspirations of being a professional counselor, maybe working on a college campus in a a college counseling center. Um, And during my last year of my master's program, I did a year-long internship in a college counseling center. And I really enjoyed that work, but I realized that what I really wanted to do was kind of more holistic work with students um, and have an experience with them that was beyond, you know, when they were in crisis and then having to kind of terminate the relationship in that way. And that's really how I discovered student affairs as a career pathway at that particular institution. The Counseling Center center was uh, very linked to student affairs and I got to know a lot of people who were doing the work and working in the field. And so I transitioned into student affairs work as a practitioner. And I mentioned this part of my journey because it's connected to the special issue that we're gonna talk about here in a few minutes. But, um, but part of what happened for me is moving into the role of student affairs, having been a person who didn't study it in my master's program, I found myself really kind of hungry to understand more about like student development theory and support um, because I'd become aware that there was this whole literature base that I just wasn't familiar with to support my work but what I also found is that I was working at an institution where the kind of value for that kind of theory to practice work and that kind of engagement wasn't really there and I didn't find a whole lot of support for it um, or a lot of colleagues who were as who were as interested as I was in engaging those kinds of conversations or even thinking about our work in that kind of informed way and that was really frustrating to me because I felt like I had found this field, I had found this career pathway that I really enjoyed, but I wasn't among people who seemed to be as invested in it. They loved working with students, um, but they just didn't have a lot of investment in the kind of scholarly side of it. Um, and that's when I decided that I would go to, um, and I would start applying to doctoral programs and I would enter into the doctoral program um, at the University of Georgia. And kind of a long story short of how I ended up being a faculty member, which I currently am, um, is that throughout the doctoral program, what I also discovered is that I had a love for teaching and that the idea of a career of preparing folks to be engaged in scholarly practitioners was really appealing to me. And that's how I found myself at the end of my doctoral journey, kind of applying to go both back into administration and then also looking at faculty jobs and faculty jobs came first. And that's just been the path that I've been on ever since.
0: All right. And the right path for you?
2: Oh, it's absolutely the right path for me. Wonderful.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Tiffany, a little bit about your adventure.
1: Sure. Um, I loved your journey, Dr. Boss. So I claim Montgomery, Alabama as home and have enjoyed moving along I-85. That's kind of what I say. I started at the University of Tennessee for my bachelor's degree in family studies, go Vols. And then I headed up to Bowling Green State University for my master's degree in college student personnel, go Falcons. And then came back down to the University of Georgia for my Ph.D. in college student affairs administration, go Dogs, And that is where I met Dr. Boss. I came into student affairs as the overly involved student leader, and my passion led me to seek out something more formal, and so I became a fellow in what was then called the Minority Undergraduate Fellows Program, which is now called NASPA's Undergraduate Fellows Program, so the NUF program. I worked in student affairs um, administration within Residence Life as a program coordinator for students of color in a mentoring program and then within TRIO programs as the director for the McNair Scholars Program at Bowling Green State University before I got my PhD. My first post PhD job was as a faculty member at North Carolina State University. And so I was there for four years And I'm currently a clinical assistant professor of higher education at the University of Houston, go Cougs. And I am the program director for the master's in higher education. And this is starting my fourth academic year here. And I love having the dual administration and teaching role that also allows me a lot of flexibility to be able to serve my profession, both regionally and nationally. So um, currently, and this kind of sorry, posi- I couldn't hear what you said. And this kind of positions the um, the journal as well is that I currently serve as SACS's research and assessment chair, and this is the genesis of this uh, the special issue journal.
0: Wonderful, thank you both so much, um, Tiffany. What are okay? So you're a person beyond you know your. Crit- career trajectory and all of that what are some of your hobbies outside of work and maybe things you're currently reading watching or listening to and then also if you have a favorite quote you'd be willing to share
1: all right well napping napping is certainly one of my favorite um, pastimes and so and a hobby but napping walking outdoors preferably near the water and bullet journaling are some of my hobbies Overall, it's hard. I actually just told someone today I was like, I don't know if I have any hobbies anymore, Mm -hmm. but I just like to experience new things. And so, whether that's new restaurants in Houston, which is one of the most diverse cities in um, America. Going and visiting and traveling to other countries and cities and states, um, attending cultural events. I like getting outside and doing new walking trails or movies and television, Um, i.e. escapism um, via TV binging. Um, Those are some of the things I do in my downtime. What have I just finished up? So I just finished up Tiny Pretty Things on Netflix as a series about the ballet world. So if you're into center stage, it's like center stage means Pretty Little Liars. And then I also just finished The Undoing on HBO Max. So that's what I'm currently watching and reading. I am reading um, a book called The Beautiful No which is by Sherry Salata. And this was a book that was suggested by Dr. Melissa Shivers in her recent Saxa uh, virtual keynote um, that was done last month. And so it's also a very good book because in my downtime, I like to read books that remind me to what? Have a downtime and to rest and to embrace, um, as the sign on my bullet journal says, that I need to guard my yes. And so this book is just a really helpful reminder A quote super meaningful to me and always has been, I think this is the quote that is listed in my high school yearbook is Aristotle's, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence therefore is not an act but a habit. And so I think it um, really allows me to have a standard of excellence in the work that I'm I'm doing personally and professionally. And so one of my go-to quotes.
0: Wonderful, thank you so much. Jenny, how about you? Interests, quotes, hobbies?
2: Well, how can I follow that?
0: (laughs) No, but um,
2: honestly, I think, you know, as Tiffany mentioned, I've been questioning a lot about, you know, kind of what hobbies look like and mean um, in these pandemic times. Um, Most of the hobbies that I enjoyed in the before times included going social dancing salsa primarily. I spent a lot of time doing that. It was a great stress reliever for me. It was a great way for me to socialize with folks who were largely outside of academia. um, And I really enjoyed that, but it certainly is not an activity that is conducive to a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I haven't been doing that. And I also used to love going to the movies. And so this may make those of you who have kind of an aversion to doing public outings alone. I cringe a little bit, but one of my favorite things to do was to go to the movies by myself, spend money on wildly expensive um, overpriced popcorn, and to just enjoy some time in the dark by myself. Mm -hmm. Maybe to add some context to that, I um, have a three-year-old daughter whom I love. Um, But sometimes I just need to have me time. There's a lot of being mommy and being partner. Um, And luckily my partner understands that the importance of me having me time. And so one of the ways that I would do that is I would go off to the movies and sit alone in the dark and just enjoy no one needing anything for me um, and me just kind of indulging in that way. But I haven't been able to do those kinds of things since the (laughs) pandemic um, has hit. And so a lot of these days, I actually have not been doing a great job of carving out time for just hobbies um, and things that I enjoy. I feel like I've been drinking from the fire hose. I started a new job this um, semester uh, and really in the summer. So the transition started in the summer. I started a new job. Um, One out of 10 would not recommend starting a new job in the pandemic, (laughs) Um, and that's just been really hard, I think, getting acclimated to a new campus, trying to course prep, um, while also for a good chunk of that time, um, caring, you know, kind of full-time for my daughter at home, a three-year-old who doesn't, you know, understand please go off for an hour or two so mommy can work when she just wants to climb on my head and um, all kinds of other things like that. So it was just been extremely challenging, I think to find space for that. Um, things have shifted a little bit over time where I've had a little bit more time for leisure. And I find that when I do have that time for leisure, I find myself really going to um, kind of more nostalgia and comfort like ways of spending my time. So rewatching shows I've already watched a bunch of times Um, Because it just doesn't require a whole lot of me, I think, cognitively to do it, and it generally warms my heart um, to to watch things that I know that I like and enjoy. Um, So I found that that's what I've been doing with most of my time. Um, I don't know that I have a quote that comes readily to mind that's meaningful to me, um, but I'll co-sign on Tiffany's quote because I think it was awesome. Great. Well, I want to
1: co-sign. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry, I wanted to co-sign on the movie thing. I had the movie pass, and it was the best thing yes. ever. That was my hobby. Every Friday, yes, I would go and watch a movie. Yep. And But I also don't like theater foods anymore. And so I would just take a bottle of water and just sit and watch movie after movie because I could go and do it. And so that's what I most miss from pandemic as well.
2: I know. Yeah. Nothing for me though beats a a tub of salty movie popcorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Well, and I love the movie pass because it kind of gives me yes. a mission to spend the money because I feel it like I'm saving so much money from the movie pass. But mm-hmm. yes, I, I miss it so much. I cannot wait um, uh, to, be able to pick that back up again.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm good going to the movies by myself too. And there's something about when the lights go down. It's like tension just goes for a minute and you know whatever problems on the screen is probably not your problem and so you can just sort of be so that's great and it's good you have a partner who understands that need because I'm guessing per your other comment your three-year-old does not so much understand the need for mom time I so <laughs> right. well I, I really appreciate that thanks for sharing a little bit about your experiences so I have one more question before we get to the topic and this is just a thing that I made up, but I totally buy into this thing that I made up. So I have a question. And that is so when you work in and around higher education, I think there are fall people and there are spring people. And the fall people, I would categorize as the excited to get things going. You know, come on, everybody, let's build, let's create, let's get to know each other um, generate community. And then the spring people, it's not that they don't value those things, but more reflective and what have we done? What do we need to do differently in the future? So pretending that this is a real thing, um, how do you each identify? Are you more of a fall and a momentum or more of a spring and a reflective? Knowing that we probably all carry some of each.
2: Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting way, I think, to think about categorizing it. Um, I might be a little bit difficult and offer maybe a third space to think about Ooh, great! Okay. Um, for myself. So I would probably say if I'm kind of using that framework that you offered or the analogy that you offered, I would probably say I'm probably more of a summer person. And, th- and tr- track with me a- for a second while I kind of think about this right so I would say what I mean by that is that um, and this is something that I can say has shown up for me at this point on so many assessments of my personality that I can't even deny it if I wanted to but um, I think one of my greatest strengths and probably what is also an Achilles heel of mine is that I am a dreamer I love to live in the world of ideas I love sketching out plans for those ideas and I if I didn't have to be a fully functioning adult who also has to pay her bills, I probably would just live in the world of ideas um, and planning stuff and then pass those ideas off to people who love to to do and to actualize. And it's not that I don't love to do and to actualize, because like you mentioned, I think I certainly have some of that fall in me. I certainly have some of that spring in me. Um, but really, where I thrive, I think, is in the land of ideas. Like, I love doing that. Maybe in a past life, I should have been like, you know, some kind of marketing person who came up with ideas and passed it off to a team to you know make it happen I don't know um, but so you know I do the doing and actualizing stuff and I think that I do it very skill- skillfully at times But I would be lying if I didn't say I I didn't get a lot of fulfillment out of the kind of dreaming of the possibilities. Mm -hmm. And I kind of love those moments in the summer when I'm planning for courses or other projects that I know are coming up in the year um, and just getting excited about, you know, what the possibilities are for the upcoming year.
0: Well, now I may add that to my question, but I will make sure I give credit where credit is due. So I love that. Thank you. How about you, Tiffany?
1: like that as well and so i'm going to since jenny broke first i'm gonna break again and say that i'm a summer fall person because i too all my personality um are high in ideation um using strings finder language mm-hmm. is ideation and but i like to carry it through the first time mm-hmm. because that way I, I can work through the kinks of my own thinking um, along with some other people, um, and so I want to I wanna do that, and I, I want to work through it the first time, but I don't have to do that again, and so I can pass it along to people that are going to be able to carry it forth. They see the vision and, and, and that are attaching the momentum and, and making it bigger and better every year. Um, I, I am a builder. I, I've actually come to understand that. I've never had a job that someone else has had. Um, in terms of the roles that I have, have been the first in the departments to have like clinical faculty members, clinical faculty members leading the programs. Um, my first job as a, um, before I got my PhD were also new positions where I got to shape a lot of stuff, come up with all the ideas and I want to help get the kinks out, but I, I don't, I want to reflect and move on to the next project because there's so many things I always say. And even my, my doctoral peers know this, that my dream job was a chief of staff. And, and it still is. Um, so if there are any presidents, vice presidents, looking for a great chief of staff, I might be willing to come out from the faculty um, ranks to do that. But I love other duties as assigned. That's my favorite job description, is other duties as assigned. And being this summer, fall person, you get to do that. You get to come up with new ideas, you see how things fit together, you execute it, and then you're like, okay, go forth, do good work, and make it even better the next time around. So,
0: summer, fall. All right. In some ways, this has been the year of other duties as assigned, hasn't it? So, Mm all right. Well, thank you both very much for sharing a little bit about yourselves and uh, your experiences and who you are. So let's talk about the special issue. Can you share a little bit about how the idea emerged and how the two of you sort of came to this work together?
2: Absolutely. Um, so from a personal standpoint for me, uh, when I was doing my doctoral studies, my dissertation studies scholarly practitioners and the conditions that promote or kind of thwart their scholarly practice. And so it's probably unsurprising from what I shared earlier about my journey, I think, in the field and what kind of brought me to where I am now and the faculty. Um, that this topic has been one that has been very close to my heart and one that I've invested a lot of um, mental time and effort into. And then also, as Tiffany mentioned um, before, you know, she came on in her capacity as the chair of the SACSA Research and Assessment Committee. And she reached out to me and invited me to uh, join that committee, I assume based on that focus of my work around uh, scholarly practice because it so much aligns with the work of that committee. And um, what we've been doing over the course of our time in forming that committee we started in the spring is that we've discussed a variety of projects with our other committee members um, that we wanted to create or to engage during our time of service um, that we thought would be helpful in supporting you know, scholar practitioners in their pursuit of you know, scholarly work. And it was after maybe I think two or three of those meetings that you know I initially reached out to Tiffany and I said hey I think that you know it might be a great idea for us to think about doing this special issue um, with uh, CSAJ. Uh, And I think that it's a good timely time to think about doing that because about 20 years ago, two similar issues were printed in, you know, kind of the National Journals of Student Affairs. So this could be a nice retrospective to reflect on that and it aligns well with the work that we've already been discussing in our committee around scholarly practitioners. And it'll be an interesting time to explore kind of the changing landscape of student affairs um, preparation and professional practice with the um, kind of growing number of professional practice graduate programs that have, you know, come to be since since the 20 years that those issues were published. Mm -hmm. And so Tiffany and I have worked together for a long time. I mean, we did our doctoral studies together um, and we've been working together on multiple projects, research projects, and I just like her as a person. She's a good friend of mine. Um, And so I knew working with her would be something that would be um, enjoyable and productive. You know, Tiffany is a person who is just so skilled and talented in so many areas that I knew that she, One, she's a person who gets things done. She builds things. She already talked to us about that and shared that with us. Um, But she just has such a wealth of knowledge about the field from her experiences. And because she is a person similar to me who just likes to collect knowledge about things. So she just knows a lot about a lot of things. So I knew that working with her would be, um, like I said, not only enjoyable, but it will also help us to really get a robust approach to this special issue and thinking outside of the box about ways that we can really encourage practitioners um, to contribute to the journal alongside other folks that we'll talk about here i think in a minute but um but yeah so her expertise in the field um around knowing the field broadly her work around supervision and kind of organizational theory and higher ed mm-hmm. i think is perfectly suited for the uh, special issue journal that we're looking to put out. Um, and then her tireless dedication to just recruiting and supporting folks in the field, I think, is exactly the kind of perspective that is helpful for this kind of issue. Um, you know, coupled with my own work and thinking about how we do this issue well and how we really honor the voices of practitioners who are doing great work and the folks who are preparing them to do that great work.
0: Great. All right. Um, So we'll include a link on the podcast site about the call for submissions, but would you all mind highlighting what you're looking for and how potential authors might think about structuring their manuscripts to meet the call and meet the needs of the audience of the journal?
1: Sure. (laughs) So as We were thinking about um, this work. Of course, we know it fits so well with the SAXA's mission and the CSAJ, so College Student Affairs Journal. SAXA is about um, practitioners. It's about professionals. It's about how do we integrate theory and practice. And so the audience is primarily practitioners and other practitioners. However, we have a lot of scholarly work that is coming from all across the country into the southern region and CSAJ over the years has just risen to be one of the the best useful good theory good practice um, journals and also one that's graduate student and first author friendly and we wanted to extend that in this call so we are looking for a variety of manuscripts Um, as Jenny said we are both people that believe that knowledge is not something that's only limited to the academy and Um, quote unquote, true scholars, such as researchers and faculty members, is that all of us have the experiential knowledge and has the ability to be able to contribute um, meaningfully to our field and through our profession, through the literature, realizing that we all like to do that little PTP model, right? Practice to theory to practice. And that's how we do that. And so we want to encourage a variety of formats. So for example, there might be some theory to practice or integration and application of theory proposals that would provide examples of the real ways that practitioners are using scholarship and theory to inform their practice or initiatives at their institutions. And so they might include practice reports by student affairs or academic affair partnerships that talk about the initiative and what were the theories and um, the scholarship and literature that they used to support their work. We also might be looking for research or assessment proposals that also talk about how practitioners are engaging in research and assessment efforts. Potentially in the form of like maybe an autoethnography, scholarly personal narrative or some other kind of reflective and reflexive formats that tell us like how are people using Um, theory to help explain what's happening in their assessment and research efforts at their universities, within their departments, within their units. We're also looking for conceptual or um, conceptual slash theoretical kinds of papers that discuss the role of assessment evaluation or research in shaping student services and support. As Jenny mentioned, this we are really trying to extend Boyer's kind of framework around scholarly practice, and so we know that having some conceptual and theoretical papers will help us to think more deeply about that and what does it mean for the future. So there might be some papers around the contemporary challenges and barriers of conducting research in the day-to-day work of practitioners. As Jenny mentioned in her dissertation, she kind of explored that and even in her subsequent um, publication, she's been exploring that, but there's still more room to um, take up some of those questions and we would be more than happy to receive some proposals that look to that area. We're also looking for proposals that kind of address activism in practice. And so proposals in this area may be focused in any of the areas that we've already talked about, teaching and learning theory to practice, research and evaluation, Um, but they might also look at um, the critique of current student affairs theory and scholarship and how that um, impacts or facilitates or doesn't meaningful change on campus, maybe some activism reports by student affairs practitioners um, that detail activism efforts of professionals themselves or in support of students. And we would love to see And this is generally, but we would love to see proposals from graduate students, from new professionals, some collaborative works that are done from faculty and um, student affairs um, professionals um, would be really Interesting for us um, to review. And so we're looking for all of these ways. And if there's something that someone came um, up with and an idea that they have that they want to explore with us. Um, we are going to provide our email addresses and the Saxa research email address reach out we've already had some really good conversations about people's like well i'm thinking about this or this is what i'm working on um and how can i does this fit and i'm like yes absolutely it fits or hey well maybe you need to think about it in this um way and it could fit as well because we want to we want to make the call and we try to make the call as accessible as possible for a broad and diverse
0: um audience great so let's jump ahead. So you've got this great set of submissions, you've worked with the authors, um, you put out the special issue to rave reviews and you know mm-hmm. gratitude across the profession. How do you see you, this work and the special issue being used by students, practitioners, faculty? Um, how would you hope that people take the work and then move it even further forward through additional scholarship or practice? Sure. Um, You know, I would say,
2: honestly, more than anything, what I really hope is that people find themselves um, in the work that will be a part of this issue. Um, Namely, I see, you know, with graduate students, so I'll talk about the three different um, kind of constituent groups that you mentioned. But I think namely with graduate students, I kind of see more of the possibility for them to be able to see themselves in that and see more of the possibilities that are available to them um, when they enter or re-enter the field or even for part-time students as they're analyzing their work alongside their studies. So thinking about how they might carry for their experience in their graduate program um, into their work or even begin starting to integrate uh, that experience if they're working full-time and studying part-time alongside their studies. And hopefully if we receive submissions from graduate students and they become a part of the issue, they'll be able to see some models for what that might look like or at least see some of the possibilities that might be available to them. Um, Hopefully they might also be able to identify areas that they want to ensure that they receive the training and knowledge to do that good work while they're still in graduate school so they can take something to you know their major professor or their faculty members and say You know, I could see this being a valuable part of my work moving forward. I know that we're maybe spending just a module on it in class, but I'm interested in maybe digging a little bit more deeply. Um, And being able to maximize that kind of opportunity and those kinds of, you know, asks that they might have of faculty or even of other people who are, you know, kind of part of their community while they're on the graduate journey. I think when I think about staff um, or, you know, current HESA administrators, higher ed and student affairs administrators, what I hope is that they will feel encouraged to pick up projects that have been on their minds or on their hearts, um, whether it be around teaching and learning um, kinds of activities or theory to practice driven initiatives or research that they um, have been interested in doing, um, that they feel supported in doing so by reading how others have engaged the process and me- and maybe even how others have navigated kind of institutional landscapes to, to, to engage in that work. Um, For faculty, I think that what I hope that, how they, I hope they might be able to leverage what is in the special issue is that they might identify ways that their pedagogy can be responsive to and proactive in meeting the needs of preparing scholarly practitioners Um, and being able to do so in a way that really makes room for this kind of expanded definition of scholarship. So they're not just teaching them to be researchers, right, which happens quite a bit in our doctoral programs, not as much in our master's programs, but that they also will be teaching them about, you know, the scholarship of teaching and learning and what that looks like both in formal spaces and informal spaces, how they can carry some ideas from, you know, the scholarship of teaching and learning into their training practices um, or other ways that they're leading teaching efforts with students or even with their other staff. Um, And I think the teaching and learning piece is one that's particularly close to my heart. It's probably the vein of my research looking at that Boyer model of um, scholarly practice that I've spent the most time in and that I've published the most about. Um, so I certainly hope that we get some submissions from folks who write, um, around those areas, but we're, as Tiffany mentioned, we're so excited about, um, the kind of vast array of Uh, different kinds of publications that people might submit around scholarship and the ways that they're doing the good work. But I really think that there are so many, there's, there's so much value that can come from being able to read about people's work, um, whether they be practitioners, graduate students, faculty, or even partnerships between any of those particular groups
0: moving Mm -hmm. forward. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Okay, so now you've got everyone's interest and they're like, yeah, I want to be a part of this. Can you talk about what, what's the timeline look like for them in terms of proposals and then moving forward from that?
1: Sure, so I think to follow up on what Jenny was talking about is that we see this process and what we hope that people will um, view the the finished edited volume as is to demystify the publication process, right, to see so many different ways that scholarship is being reported, and also that when folks look at this issue, that they're like, you know what, I do have time to be a scholarly practitioner, because so often there's one of the reasons why people say is, there's like, well, there's no value of that, and I hope that this this issue will show that there is indeed value, both at the institutional level, as well as the national level for this type of scholarship. And so we are really committed to a very developmental process. So our manuscript proposals, which is a shorter abstract of what you wanna do, what your idea is, is gonna be due on February 15th, 2021. And so we would love to have as many proposals as possible for that initial of proposal. And then what Jenny and I will do along with the rest of the SACSA um, research and assessment committee is that we're going to review these proposals and then we're going to say here are the the top proposals that we are able to include in the special issue because we already know that we're not going to be able to include everyone that we would want to do but we are going to. Ask if we can't um, include everyone is that we still say hey this seems like a great idea we're still going to give feedback um, so that maybe they can still develop that idea to be able to contribute to CSHA in the future or another publication and so we're going to give thoughtful feedback to all of the proposals that come in we once we accept um, our initial proposal Invitations, it will, we're going to ask for the full paper by next July. So that'll be the first round of get the drafts, we review them. And because we do want to encourage um, and make a graduate student, first writer, um, practitioner working um folks friendly there's going to be up to two rounds of revisions and that's why we started way before 2022 for anyone that's been involved in the academic writing sometimes they can be like okay um even for example Jenny and I along with one of our favorite um, co-authors Dr. Krista Porter at Kent State University we recently got an abstract accepted and they're like full paper March 1. And we're like, you know, we're going to get it done. We're going to finalize it. It's going to be there. But we know that working with people who are, um, and we encourage scholar practitioners to be a part of this process, we knew that we needed to give several months. And so that's how we started November 1. We wanted several months for you to pull together an abstract several months for you to pull together the first draft, more months before you can pull together that second draft. And so we're gonna be doing revisions and then our final special issue will come out in July 2022. And so that's kind of our um, uh, submission process. Submit a proposal February, learn if you're accepted in March, have your first draft due in July, and then we'll have some revisions as needed along the way. And then it'll be published in summer 2022 with CSAJ.
0: Well, I love that because it's also sensitive to, if you want practitioners to publish, it's about giving the time and um, respecting the rhythms of different offices and functional areas. So um, that's great. All right. Um, And I know that you've talked about this a little bit already in terms of ideas, what people might write about, but are there any other considerations That you want to make or suggest to authors as they're generating ideas and pulling proposals together um, and how they might set themselves up to really make a strong contribution to the issue. Yeah
2: and I think part of what I would say is that I want to reiterate some points that I think we've already kind of previously made one. I want to kind of renew what you know, Tiffany mentioned about this idea of that, you know, we set out some suggested parameters about what you could submit to the journal, what might fit with the journal, but we also know that, you know, The limitations of our ideas are uh, there are limitations to you know the way that we're even framing the special issue and we hope that if you have an idea that doesn't fit neatly into those areas that you won't, you know, count yourself out from submitting uh, to the journal that you'll submit and then we'll work with you and like Tiffany said, if it ultimately is a proposal that doesn't fit for our particular issue will give you feedback and maybe suggest places that you might think about, you know, finding a home for the work that you are interested in doing. But we hope that you will submit um, to us even if your idea doesn't fit neatly right into one of those areas that we suggest for the special issue. The other thing that I want to reiterate is this idea of the de- developmental process and the developmental aim of this issue. So As I mentioned, you know, this issue is really looking to be kind of a retrospective of those two special issues that came out 20 years ago. And 20 years ago, the prevailing message was that, you know, student affairs professionals were not engaged all that much in scholarship for a number of different reasons. And some of the reasons that they hypothesized to explain um, why that was the case was that There was a lack of preparation for scholarly engagement. Um, We know that since that time, there's been an explosion of graduate preparation programs across the nation. Um, So certainly more people who are credentialed specifically to do higher ed and student affairs work. Um, So certainly that we anticipate that that has had some impact on the field. Per my research, I know that that has had some impact on the field. Um, but also a big one is the demands of the job that leave little room for scholarship or at least seemingly leave little room for scholarship. And so as Tiffany mentioned, one of the parts of this process is really trying to demystify um, kind of the scholarly process and publication process and finding where that fits in your work, right? And everybody's work looks a little bit differently. So finding where that fits in your work. And so, part of what we are committed to do in this process is to support authors in figuring out where this fits in their work, how they carve out the time, and offering necessary supports for that. So, one of the things that we're offering as a part of our committee, um, not just for authors of this particular special issue, but for anyone who's interested in kind of scholarly practice and around writing and putting their work out there. Um, in various different venues is that we're going to offer uh, some writing support for practitioners um, that we're calling the scholarly type. And right now the goal is to have it at least once a month where we have time that is carved out for folks to show up uh, via Zoom, it will be remote via Zoom. With writing projects either fully realized or just ideas about writing projects that they might have interest in and bringing it to that space and being able to find a community of support around that, but also just having accountability for doing the work that folks are interested in doing, but not always making the time, carving out the time to do. Um, and so uh, one of the other things that I think that I want to mention are other considerations that I think might be helpful is that, you know, It's certainly the three of us, you know, on this podcast right now, and I would imagine many of the other folks who are listening to this podcast could anecdotally say that we know practitioners who are engaged in meaningful, important, and transformative scholarly practice work, but they're not documenting it. And not that everything necessarily needs to be documented. I mean, we live in a world of accountability where documentation you know, reigns supreme. And so sometimes we just need a little bit of a break from that. But I also think that there's great value in us being able to tell the narratives of the good work that we do. Um, you know, and that, because that benefits the profession and it helps to push the profession forward. So part of this process is built into our timeline to recognize, as you mentioned, Michelle, um, the kind of ebbs and flow of practitioner work and recognizing that we kind of need to have a timeline that can accommodate, you know, the competing demands that practitioners have on engaging scholarly work. And that's really what we're looking to do. And we're looking to have offer that support for folks who feel, you know, maybe they feel hesitant. Maybe they're listening to this podcast and they're thinking, I think I do good work and I'd love to share it, but, you know, I feel out of the practice of writing or I don't feel like my writing is, you know, to the level of publication. Um, That may or may not be true that, you know, we don't determine that, but what we can do is say, let us help to support you so that you have that confidence. And if there are areas where there are gaps, maybe we can support you in that way as well. Um, Or folks who are just experiencing like imposterism or feeling like, you know, I've been out of my graduate program, you know, for however long, or maybe I'm just newly out of my graduate program and I don't feel that I, you know, have anything meaningful to contribute, or maybe they're graduate students who feel like, who am I to be, you know, trying to publish at this point in time? in my journey, but helping to combat that because I know that, you know, we have felt that personally and we've had to overcome that I still have to overcome it pretty much every time I'm about to submit something to be honest, um, but you know, talking about, you know, that process and navigating that process. And so really looking at the time horizon that we set out for this publication is one that we hope will be encouraging to folks to know that you know not only do they have something meaningful contribute that they can do this work but they're also going to have folks who are going to come alongside them in support of their work um, in the process to publication for us so On the practitioner side of submitting, we really want folks to not be hesitant about submitting their ideas. And while we cannot accept everyone, as Tiffany mentioned, we're really keen on forefronting practitioners um, writing and their work. And we also would love submissions from graduate students and from faculty and especially, you know, partnerships, faculty practitioner partnerships, um, faculty graduate student partnerships. Um, As for faculty, I think it's really important that we are documenting the works and our our work in the ways that we reflect on our teaching and refine it to best prepare students for scholarly practice. And I think that that kind of documentation is something that is helpful for both junior and senior faculty alike as we start to examine how our practices and approaches can best prepare um, students to go out in the world and have career long Um, orientations to scholarship. and As for partnerships, um, I would be really excited. I hope that we see some partnership work come through uh, for this issue, because for partnerships, we really could use more documentation of how faculty leverage their resources, which might be things like time to devote towards research, advanced training and teaching and research, or even potentially grant support that they might have, and how practitioners also leverage their resources, Of real time knowledge of campus life, knowledge of access, knowledge of and access to student populations, and views from the entry point, middle and senior level of administration that faculty may have a little bit more distance from, and seeing how both of those groups are able to leverage their resources together toward a more powerful practice to theory to practice feedback loop um, than either of them could do alone. So, you know, I think there's so many possibilities. I'm going to stop talking about it because I'm excited and I could probably talk all day about it, but I think that those are certainly some additional considerations for this special issue.
0: Well, and I think it's really important um, what you're saying about demystifying, because everyone who is publishing wasn't publishing before they were publishing but it looks like you either are or you're not and making it more transparent that it's a process of becoming it's not a you've got it or you don't and so i think you've done such a beautiful job of reiterating that through what you're looking for who the the different um potential authors you're encouraging to submit and just the value of what different people regardless of where you are in your experience your professional identity what you might have to offer um because it I mean writing is a lot of alone time and it's not you know if there was um a reality show about academic writing it would not last very long because it would be a lot of just watching somebody sit in front of a screen sometimes a blank screen right for a long time but um yeah I really I I value that and I appreciate the the enthusiasm that you all are bringing and the just the encouragement of bring your ideas forward because there is a place for them whether it's this particular issue or not so that there are a lot of gifts in what you're offering through this project Are there things that I should be asking or other things you want to either reiterate or touch on that we haven't gotten to about this project?
1: This is where the, um, I watch TV with subtitles and it would be like, stairs in the sky reflectively. (laughs) 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 Because <laughs> we <laughs> um thinking about it. Um, let's see. So, and this might be a, another part that's connected to the question that you might ask, Ness, about what are some other projects that are happening. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad that Jenny shared out about the scholarly type. And you all are the first to hear about it. We will share information. But there's kind of two other things that I would add that are One is really connected to this project and the second is tangentially related is the first is that, as Jenny mentioned, we know people who are doing this work but aren't writing about it in this type of way. And so I really want to um, send a charge to your listeners to say, if you can identify someone who's doing great work, email them specifically and say, hey, I saw this. Um, journal call and I think you and your work with whom with whatever group whatever initiative or would be perfect and how can I help support you or how can I get you connected with um, Dr. Boss, Dr. Davis, what can and so just reaching out because a lot of times we know that that's important is that if someone reaches out and says I see you I see what you're doing that's really powerful motivator and so I want to challenge every Um, listener to think about someone, whether that's at their institution, at a previous institution, a friend, a colleague, or whatever, and say, hey, we're interested. Um, Also, remember that even though we are, we are (laughs) SACSA, and we are the southern region, we are accepting um, calls from and submissions from everywhere. And so if you have someone that's not in the SACSA region that may not get our tweets or may not get our emails, and even though we're using some national listservs as well, um, send it, forward it out to your networks and and help us get the word out about this special issue that we are very excited about. And so that's kind of the things are connected. Um, Tangentially related is that with the SACSA Research and Assessment Committee, we also offer a grant program that this year as as the chair, I really wanted to move beyond just a focus on research and to really think about all the different ways that practitioners. And so we have expanded the uh, the pool of what's available. And so practitioners, scholars, scholar practitioners, students, faculty alike can apply within the SACSA region. Or some grant funds and we award up to $500 per project and that could be it to an individual or to a research team. Um, to look at either research evaluation or assessment projects and so we're not um, we're, we're broadening what scholarship looks like and how scholarship can be used To come back to our profession. And so we have extended and we'll have another round of grants. Grants that we will fund. And so that application is currently January 15th, and information can also be found on our website. And so this is a really good opportunity if someone's coming with an idea or something that they're already working on, and then they apply for a grant. Hey, this $500 can give a lot of incentives. It can help with uh, marketing, creation, um, implementation of some of these ideas that are happening. And so we encourage submissions for the AER grant as well. And again, that's due on January 15th. And we just want people to know that the, the changes that we're making and the ways that we are really trying to engage um, all members of um, the Saxa and um, the Saxa family and the Saxa region.
2: Um, that was really well said, Tiffany. And I, I love, I'm so glad that you mentioned this idea of folks you know, identifying folks and reaching out to them for doing good work. That's one thing that I know that you particularly are really good at. You're a connector, you're a natural connector in that way. Uh, I don't know how many emails I've gotten from you like, hey, this is connected to your work. Hey, this looks like something that you would do. And it really is just meaningful to have people in your life who see and recognize the work that you do. Because I think all of us at times feel like so much of the work that we do is invisible um, and not always valued. And so... You know, certainly that is important. One other thing that I would like to also mention is that I really hope that we, are disrupting this notion that this has to be an individual endeavor. It certainly can be, but we certainly encourage folks to submit collaboratively um, in writing around their work. I mean, I know I talked about partnerships and this is something a little bit different than that, right? Certainly partnerships would write in a collaborative way, but there might be folks who are doing similar kinds of work um, that might want to get together and write collaboratively sorry collaboratively around that work Um, and that might be helpful too just in support in the journey of being able to have a group of people that you can talk about your similar orientations to work or even maybe the differences in your orientation to work um, and how you write about that so certainly consider that maybe there's someone that you know who's doing great work and you want to reach out to them and say hey do you want to write about this might have been someone you had coffee with in between conference sessions to talk about you know know work that is you know similar to you in past years um or a number of different things um so certainly consider that as a possibility to work collaboratively um, and to think about and if you know people in your realm like you maybe you're the great connector and you know two or three people who are working in a similar area doing similar kinds of work maybe you want to do a facilitated introduction and say the three of you are doing amazing work I think that you know this would be a great place for you all to think about a collaborative submission and talking about your theory to practice work or your teaching and learning or your research or whatever it is to submit to the journal so certainly we encourage scholarship and community so folks who are interested in you know approaching it that way we encourage you to submit along those lines as well
1: Oh my gosh, Jenny, you got my, my brain. I'm like, Oh, wouldn't it be awesome if people were using like anti-deficit frameworks or like a community cultural wealth model, but they're using it in one person's doing it in orientation. Another person's using it in service learning. Another person is using it in diversity equity programming, like, and just to talk about how they use that one thing and how it shows up in different areas. Yeah. Um, I think about a proposal that me and some colleagues just put together about what is it like teaching assessment and evaluation courses in varieties of modalities at different universities and so four of us we're at four different institutions we don't all know each other but someone said hey we're all teaching assessment and evaluation and we teach it similarly and differently how do we talk about our pedagogy in doing that and and I think that there is such synergy and networking that can happen and we know that one of the saxo's values is collegiality and collegiate and so that's important and we hope that that's going to show up in um this special
0: issue absolutely i just wish you two were a little more enthusiastic about this project (laughs) 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 no it's just great to see ideas emerge through conversation you know and and new ways of thinking and new ways of connecting and surfacing knowledge, and it, it doesn't have to be the way it's always been, because there are different different, and better, but also just different and additional ways of doing the work, so wonderful. Well, um, I think the last question that I have for you before we start the wrap-up is, And you have touched on this a little bit already, but are there other projects and initiatives that you all are working on, whether it's related to this specifically or something different, that this is your chance just to say, hey, and I'm doing this too. So things you want to celebrate or highlight?
1: I can go first. I want to highlight a special issue that I am co-editing with Dr. Brittany Williams from St. Cloud State University. And this is another area, and Jenny mentioned this earlier around my interest around supervision, but um, Dr. Williams and I are co-editing a New Directions for Student Services around supervision and student affairs, because again, another timely topic that we want to um, put out into the profession. And so Yesterday, all of our first drafts came in for this special issue and it will be released in summer 2021. And so I would just say, um, people look out for it, purchase it, read it. When it comes out, get excited, tell your friends, your family, your countrymen and And uh I'm very excited because we have a lot of practitioners and again, scholarship and practice is also one of my um, interests and goals. And so we have faculty, we have staff and we have graduate students that are all writing in this special issue around um, 21st century supervision and so that's what I'm going to be spending my time over the break is providing feedback on those chapters. But I'm, I'm very excited for that work. And that's something that I would say um, that I would like to promote.
0: Excellent. Thank you.
2: I don't have any other special issues. <laughs> I say that, <laughs> uh, that tongue in cheek, but um, yeah. my is, you know, she, she does such great work. Um, I don't have any immediate projects that I'd like to necessarily promote. What I would say is be on the lookout. Our committee is doing some phenomenal work. I mean, we are only two representatives of the larger SEXA. committee, but it's just doing some phenomenal work about thinking about other ways that we might support scholarly practitioners. So certainly be on the lookout for announcements to come about different support structures that we'll be putting out um, that have been developed by our other committee members in some very exciting and meaningful ways. So coming soon, I should say, no specific project to plug, but please be actively on the lookout for um, different opportunities and support for scholarly practitioners and
1: show up for those activities because I think so much we've we've planned them with someone if they have no idea to start with that if they just come they will be able to get something one of the things that I really like about how we framed the scholarly type for example is that each month we're going to have a faculty member or a scholar practitioner or somebody who's kind of well, versed in um, the publication and writing process to be there to serve as kind of a coach and a mentor in that moment. And so, even though it's the primary goal is around accountability and networking, we also know that sometimes you need the first mentorship moment before you can get to the accountability and the ideation. And so, that's what we're going to do. And we're also um, thinking that a lot of it's going to be organic and there'll be some peer mentorship that will also take place. And so, We are very excited. I believe our first date is February 6th. That sounds like a Saturday. Um, And I believe that's the date, Um, but you'll get lots of emails and we want people just to show up that first time, let us know because we'll be asking. And of course, since we're the, we also are value assessment, we're gonna be asking questions of like, what else would you like to see from us as a committee that would help support um, your excellence um, in practice on campuses and in our, even for our higher ed adjacent folks that want to engage in this work.
0: Wonderful. Well, um, so my script says i in an effort to leave on a high note, but this has all been a high note, but to sort of continue building on that. Um, you know, it's not been the easiest year, not been the easiest academic semester, but would you all be willing to share a few things that are bringing you joy right now? Can be personal, can be professional, can be random, but just some things that you're like, you know what, but I've got this, and this is going on for me. Any thoughts?
2: Sure. So I've mentioned her a couple of times and I mostly mentioned her and not as much as bringing me joy. Although, you know, even the, even those moments bring me joy, but, um, My daughter has been um, such a grounding force for me, I think, as we've been going through the pandemic. I'm so envious of her right now to be kind of blissfully unaware of what is really going on in the world around her. Um, and for her, it's just, Oh, more time with mommy and daddy, which right now we're her best friends in the world. And I cherish that because when she's a teenager, that will likely not be the case. Um, but, um, I think that what this has, um, and this is going to be so, this is probably going to sound so cliche at this point, right? We're nine months or however many months into the pandemic, but like, um, Something the, the a silver lining of the pandemic has been the forced slowing down of just kind of spending time with family. Um, well, I should say for my immediate family, because I haven't seen my other family. And I know that not everyone has had that, you know, opportunity to be able to stay in place with a family unit. Um, so it's something that I feel grateful for. It's something that has been giving me hope. Um, and just to, I think, yeah, so I would probably say that's probably my, the main thing is just being able to live vicariously through her experience of, you know, a world where she gets to hang out and play and spend time with mommy and daddy and, you know, and all of, all of those things. It's been helpful to kind of reframe for me um, this time and experience that has felt very stressful for me when I think about it through my own lenses, but being able to look at the world through her lens has been helpful.
0: Great, thank you.
1: What's bringing me joy right now, I, I agree with what Jenny said, is like the, the mandatory slowing down of some things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, also, the seeing the scene of fruition. Um, a lot of stuff, especially in faculty life, um, is about planting seeds that tend to pop up and grow, um, sometimes around the same time, and you got to harvest that whole crop. But I think <laughs> right now, I've just been seeing the fruition of a lot of the work that has been happening. And so that's been really good. But then also paired with this nice slowing down, enjoying walking outside is a newer thing for me that happened in the pandemic. I have a friend who has a uh, a company called Hiking is Healing. And that's where um, Tia Williams, um, Emory University. And that's where I got uh, into going outside and just being with nature. And so that's been very... Um, wonderful for me. And then something else that's really bringing me joy right now is that my birthday is coming up on December 30th. And last year I was very, 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 very sick for (laughs) about a month. Um, And so did not celebrate my birthday, Christmas, any of those. It was just back-to-back doctors and, and urgent cares. And so I am healthy, I am safe, and I am within four walls that I enjoy. And so I will do that. I will be able to have a good Christmas and Kwanzaa and birthday and New Year's um, and not like last year because all of those holidays were just not good. So that's what's really bringing me joy too is you know just health and safety right now. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, well, happy early birthday. Thank you. <laughs> um, I just wanna thank you both so much for spending some time today. And I know there's a lot of turmoil in the world right now. And the fact that you were willing and able at the end of a not unbusy semester to take some time and talk with me really means a lot. Um, I hope that you all are and continue to do okay as we sort of manage the unknowable next, you know. We have hopes for 2021, but I think we all have set the bar pretty low in terms of we don't want to over anticipate for a year that might under deliver, but um, we're moving forward. And that's the important thing. So thank you again, uh, Jenny and Tiffany. I, I really can't thank you enough for taking some time and really just sharing some enthusiasm and joy around possibility. And, and that means a lot right now. So thank you both very much. Yeah,
1: thank you for inviting
0: us. Yes, us. thank you. So thank you one more time to our guests, Doctor G- Doctors Jenny Jones-Boss and Tiffany J. Davis. Claim the doctor. The doctor matters. Mm-hmm. We are doctors. so. Oh, yeah. um, today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by Saxa, and we thank them for their support. Additionally, the show would not be possible without my producer, Erica Lee. So thanks always to you, Erica. My name is Michelle Botcher. This is, it has been a, honestly, truly a pleasure to host this episode. Um, and I hope all of you as listeners and certainly the two of you as guests, I hope you have a beautiful day and best wishes and in the coming weeks. I hope we all can hold on to the slowdown and celebrate that in the coming weeks. And happy new year when it gets here. So thank you again. Thank you.
1: Happy new year.